Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Chris Talks Music. Today I've spent a little bit of time speaking to Bobby Elliott from the Hollies, one of the original founding members of the, well, one of the groups that went over and cracked America, best known for their hits including the likes of He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, The Air That I Breathe, Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress, Bus Stop, Carrie Ann, and Sorry Suzanne. The Hollies have been performing continuously since they were formed back in 1962, which is 60 years ago, and they've had over 20 hits worldwide. In 2010, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for their impact on the evolution, development, and perpetuation of rock and roll. Hey! Look at you, you're, you're a techno wizard. How are you doing? <laughs> Uh, we, we, we're good. We, we, we just, you know, getting ready, uh, getting our house together about the uh, setting the, the tour up and what we're going to play. But uh, yeah, everything's good. Everything's raring to go. Uh, it's been a long time. It's been a lockdown, of course, like for everybody. But uh, uh, but I did uh, the start of the lockdown. I had my book come out. But I saw uh, that. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it so it's all in there. It weighs a ton. But uh, yeah. So uh, it's, that that the book was published right at the start of the lockdown, so I couldn't really do much to uh, to promote it. But it's now in its second print. It's okay. being printed. Uh, the, yeah, so the first lot sold out. But so that's good news. Um, so we, yeah, we just we just getting ready, and uh, the theatre. I've got the list of uh, I think it's about twenty three dates all around the UK. So yeah, uh, there's there is quite a few, isn't there? I mean, going back to your book though. You've always kept diaries, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, so, understandably, you've got plenty of material as a result. Is that, oh, is that this year's one as well? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, it surprises me how many people still keep diaries. I, I kind of thought that a lot of people kind of stopped writing down their thoughts, and it seems to have had a bit of an explosion in popularity is- again of late. I think it's quite therapeutic. You know, it's, it's like having your own trick cyclist, your own psychiatrist. You can you can uh, do your outpourings, uh, you know, and literally write them down. And if write them down in a relaxed manner, and I think it calms. If you're excited about something, it just takes the edge off it. Yeah. Um, but I've been keeping these. I've been keeping these since I was a kid because my dad did. Uh, yeah. He was a cabinet, so he used to note all his work down and things. So. Uh, young Robert uh, started keeping diaries at school, uh, and it's, it's thankfully it's paid off. Um, but I can remember, I remember it all anyway. Yeah, uh, I know. But I mean, like you said, though, it's quite cathartic to kind of just put it down on a page, and it's almost like obviously it's there in front of you, and you might remember everything that's happened, but you might not remember exactly how you felt within that moment. So encapsulating it in a diary is a lovely way to do it. Yeah, this, uh, the, and then once you get into the detail, you, you, like you say, you, you, there's a general gloss of memory, and then you open the page at when, whenever it was, and you, and there's extra detail in, and that was a great help with just writing the book. It was uh, it, it, it was a joy, but I've, I've always been a, a bit of a hoarder, as you can see around here. I've got a barn full of drums. I've got uh, cuttings, and I've got photographs and. Uh, I, I'm I, the lads call me the group's historian, but uh, uh, so it, it, it all eventually came to be very useful. Uh, maybe I should write volume uh, volume two because this this one finishes in the uh, early eighties when we're 
in Los Angeles recording a reunion album with Graham Nash uh, called What Goes Around. So I had it, the publisher said I had enough words and and and, uh, and pictures and all the rest of it. So we 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 we, we put that one to bed, and uh, I sh I should get off my backside and write volume two, but uh, it, here I am having fun. <laughs> well, I think you deserve it, mate. It's been what sixty years since you kind it's been of a long time. Bit longer than that, isn't it? Was it was it sixty one that you? Uh, well, we were playing in bands, little bands around here, you know, semi pro. And Tony yeah. Hicks and I, and uh, Tony Hicks, we had a little band around here called the Dolphins. And Alan Clark, Graham Nash had the various bands with the two teams, Ricky and Dan Young, and all that sort of thing. Uh, and it was an amalgamation of the two. Uh, we, Tony and I, was spreading our wings, even though we were apprentices, and Tony was about six, only about 16. Uh, we were playing around the Manchester area quite a lot. So word got round about this band, and then uh, a manager who was putting together the Hollies, a guy called Alan Cheaton, uh, kept following Tony, the, the Dolphins around, and, and uh, Tony, you've got to come and join our band, da, 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 da. So this went on. Tony eventually succumbed. Uh, quite, a, quite a, a complicated story, but he, 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 he joined. Consequently, I was out of a, a, a job and he phoned up a few days later and said, look, there's a gig going with uh, Shane Fenton and the Fentons, who later yeah. became artist. And uh, I went, my dad had a little A30 van and he drove me down to London. Uh, and it was an audition and I, it was raining and we were late. And I looked up, I eventually looked up a side shape and there was a line of guys and one had a drumstick sticking out of his pocket. I thought, well, that's a clue. I was at the back of the queue and I got the gig. Later found out that Keith Moon was number three in the queue, said, said he bragging, and I got the gig. Uh, so I was with Shane Fenton, Albion Stardust, for a few months before I joined the Hollies because the original drummer with the Hollies was the only guy who drove the van. Nobody else could drive. Uh, and uh, then, uh, you know, Rabbit Road Studios, they, they realised that they needed a bit more of uh, a call for Bob, and I was in. Nice. And then 60 years later, here you are, still doing it. How do you keep the energy up? Scary, scary. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We, we, we live in, on the edge of the countryside here. We can walk. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of it's in the mind, you know. Uh, yeah. you, you sort of keep yourself in shape uh, and, and have positive thoughts. Uh, that's that's very important. Um so uh, yeah, uh, so, so far so good. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, more so. Like, I mean, I know you look after yourself. I mean, you guys, you were like, obviously, you had like the Hollies, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles. You guys were all the ones that went out to the US and kind of were part of that wave over there. And then, yeah. um, but like, it's also the fact that those guys, I mean, they kind of had their hedonistic lifestyles well yourselves. You weren't really fans of kind of partaking in the all of the <laughs> extracurricular activities. You you seem to be quite well grounded from the off. Well, well, we leave it like that. I mean, we, we quite like that image, although it can be a bit counterproductive at times. But yeah, we we, uh, we were going over here first, Nambi Road Studios, and then, yes, the, the British Invasion, the Beatles... Uh, were welcome to the states, and they were they were mega, and we we followed in on their coattails. We were like the foot soldiers that followed afterwards. Excuse me, and uh, uh, yeah, it was. And the first gig we did was at the Paramount Theatre on Broadway. <clears throat> it was uh, uh, an Easter show where they had uh, 
five shows a day, starting with a movie and then a rock show and then a movie. Little Richard was on and the Exciters and lots. King Curtis Orchestra was like an 18-piece fantastic band. Uh, and I, I, I was able to hang out with the guys, you know, because I loved all those jazzes. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah, um, to, each act was only allowed two songs. Uh, and then it went on. And then the, the movie, rock act, movie, rock, right through, all through Easter. And, uh, uh, yeah, Little Richard with uh, uh, an unknown Jimi Hendrix on guitar. It's crazy. It's such a small world, isn't it, when you think about it? <laughs> well... Yeah, it was. Uh, we'd gone to the the land of our idols, and the Americans at that time couldn't believe what had hit them. You know, we thought their music was best, and I still believe that uh, they influenced us. Without the American music, we wouldn't be wouldn't be here. But they uh, made a real fuss of not just the Beatles, but ourselves and the Stones and and, and all the all the British bands. And it was uh, <coughs> it was a, a fantastic time to, to to live through. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's yeah it's it's wild in comparison really I mean I mean they kind of have terms for what happened there in terms of you loving the American music and then the Americans loving the British music call it sharing good practice but it's um it's yeah it's it's nice I I guess to kind of, especially with those kind of that era of music with the the names that you you all came up around and that's not to downplay you in any way whatsoever. But it's like it's it was a fantastic era for a bunch of creatives, wasn't it? Uh, it was, it was, uh, and the social scene oh, over there. I mean, we were able to go to all these wonderful clubs in Hollywood and places like that. So you, you were sat next to celebrities, and uh, I'd be out with Keith Moon, and he'd have a bottle of Covassier brandy on the on the table uh, and shout, shouting and bawling. Uh, so we we, did, we we hung out with the guys, of course, we did. Uh, and uh, Mamas and Papas and uh, Buffalo Springfield, and uh, that's how Graham got involved with with uh, Crossing Souls and Nash. That's how it all started. But yeah. <laughs> we were there as well. Then the Whiskey A Go Go. When we were in LA, we were there, and uh, it, it was just uh, uh, and Joni. We, we we met Joni Mitchell first in Canada, and. Uh, Graham, uh, yeah, as you know, ended up, everybody knows, ended, ended up with a journey for, uh, for a while living in San Francisco. So there, there were interesting times and um, it was nice to have been part of it. But I always tended to come back home. I, I, you know, all the guys, we were a northern band, they all moved down south, got houses or whatever down there. I tried various flats and things, but I kept drifting back north here. And where I am now, I'm only about six miles from where I was born. So uh, I'm on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales and uh, not part of the Lake District. And, uh, the lambs are outside gambling around. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. I don't know right. Uh, daffodils are out. You know, it's, it's, it's not a bad part of the world. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good. Oh, it's nice though, isn't it, to kind of go out and have all of those adventures and then kind of come back to that, that homely space. It gives you that calm, doesn't it? Put you in peace. You've got it. Yeah, yeah. It was a great, a great stabilizer. You know, coming back, even just going back and see my old mates at the local pub, that just brought me down to earth again, rather than drifting round into the ether of, uh, you know, the ad lib club and the, uh, the, the, the speakeasy. You know, I, I'd go down them as well. But when I had a bellyful, I would, I would come home and <laughs> if I'd, if I had any days off, which. Was, 
few and far between in those days, I'd come home and just think of it, you know, and uh, take stock, write yeah. a diary. <laughs> Absolutely, it's the best way to do it. It's um, it it is it, and it also kind of allows you to kind of take your foot off. But like you said, I think the whole staying grounded thing. I think that's that is something that always draws us back to home. I've travelled all around the world. I mean, obviously, I wasn't in the Hollies, unfortunately, so I wasn't enjoying the the elements of life that you guys had in those adventures in that way. But kind of. For some reason, I keep finding myself coming back north, wherever I've gone in the world, and whether I've moved in the UK, I live down south as well, and then I always keep coming back up north, and then I'm like, oh, it's bloody cold up here, it's freezing, it's it's raining, it's miserable, but yeah. I don't think I'd change it. No, no, no. Well, are you in Sheffield? Are you in Sheffield? Yeah, yeah, I'm just on the outskirts of Sheffield now. I'm originally from Sheffield, but moved away for like 16 years, and then... Yeah came back at the beginning of 2020 just before all of the covid stuff kicked off so it's just getting used to getting reacquainted with what was once familiar it's nice though yeah Yeah, it's good so you've you said you've got 22 dates was it you've got on your gigs well, it's all yeah. There's quite a lot. Uh, yeah, you start so, off in Birmingham, don't you? And then you're in Sheffield in the yeah, 24th of May. Tuesday, the 24th of May. Yeah, the, the old city hall. God, we've done that a few times. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 90, 1963 would have been the first time we did that. Yeah. 1963. That'll be. Is that yeah. in a chapter in your book? Yeah, it would be, yes, but we would have done it on the, we did a tour of the Stones, who would have been there then, uh, you know, all those tours, in those early 60s, there were package tours where there'd be lots of artists and bands on, and we did one with the Stones, where we were the special guests and the Stones had just hit big. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, Sheffield City Hall, but before that, you know, the various other places that we used to do, uh, Place I think before it, before the Hollies we play a place at Stringfellow Hard I think. Uh, oh yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's. So, um, yeah, forget you forget he was from Sheffield, and then he yeah, moved on and he, gone elsewhere. Yeah, he, he had a club. He had a, he had a various venues, and uh, yeah, him and his brother, and they were called the Stringfellows. And that, I remember before the Hollies we worked we worked for them when we were sort of semi pro. Um, uh, and then with Alvin Stardust as well, uh, Shane Fenton, should I say. Yeah. So, yeah. Been was the second mate. incarnation of um, Shane Fenton, wasn't he? Uh, Al- Alvin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it was... From I used to stay at his, his mum's place in Mansfield, and that, that, that's the first time I'd left home, my first pro gig. Uh, yeah, and uh, she was really nice to me. She looked after me, uh, and... Uh, it, it was it was great experience because uh, they were seasoned pros. By the yeah. time you know, I was with the Fentones, when I joined the Hollies, I was I was you know up and running, and uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I could I could easily handle the gig. Yeah. So, nice. and, going, and going into Abbey, the old Abbey Road Studios in those days, re- recorded on quarter inch tape. That's. Uh, talking about Abbey Road Studios, I was in there uh, a few months ago. They're making a documentary called If These Walls Could Sing, and it's the full history of Abbey Road Studios, going back pre-Beatles, right back to Elgar, the classical composers. And wow. Ameri- 
Mary McCartney's part of the production team. She invited me down and I was there for a day and she had me showing around the studios and telling, I was telling her where everything used to be, you know, Studio 2 and they had the echo room with the sewer pipe stood up and, and they're still using that to this day where they had a speaker at one end and the mic at the other. Uh, and, and the uh, number two studios looks pretty much as it did in those early days because they wanted to modernise it at one time and uh, McCartney walked in and there's these technicians with notepads and that looking up, oh, we could do this, get two floors. Paul said, hey, lads, what are you doing? Well, we're going to bring this studio up to, we're going to modernise the studio too. You must be crazy. And this, that stopped them. So good old Paul stopped them buggering about with that one. Some things are best left unchanged, though, aren't they? Certainly, Studio Two there, and they have. Although Studio Three is all modern now, where I was. Yeah, yeah. But, I know. Uh, I know they have to modernise some things, but some things you've just got to kind of keep keep authentic. Uh, well, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the north of England here, that's been plundered, and the the town centres have been modernised. The, the, the modernisation is now crumbling, and they've been better off leaving the original stone-built, uh, you know, whatever were, were, were there. And even the cobbles in some parts would have been a tourist attraction in this little town here called Corn. Uh, it's, it's like the way the uh, the Bronte it's not far from the Bronte country, and it has a similar appeal. But they they, they chop the heart out of it. <laughs> they they do that, um, don't they? The, the, yeah, the councillors, uh, greedy councillors and developers. Yeah, there was a there's a there's a street in Sheffield that was. I mean, obviously all the streets were originally cobbled, but one of the streets they removed all of the tarmac surface on the top, and they've just exposed all the cobbles again. And I know some people might complain because it's it's it rumbles when the car drives over it or whatever, but I just think it looks so much nicer, gives it so much character, and it's. Uh, yeah. I think it's. Like, obviously, I'm of a different generation to yourself, but and I do love technology and things like that. And modernization can be good, but I and con- contemporizing everything can be nice in a way. But I also think you need to kind of take note of what's come before and retain as much of that as possible while iterating on it in a way that doesn't really kill the original soul. No. It's about balance, isn't it? Balance and uh, yeah, uh, what what's good and, and look at the way it was built. Those cobbles, each one hand, hand carved and, and you know chiselled and all the rest of it. Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, my heart sinks sometimes when I there's an area around here that was just bulldozed and there, there was an ornate garden and it just flattened the lot down at an old hall down the road here. Uh, and it's all underneath there, probably somewhere. But <clears throat> people, it's so strange. You're talking about the 60s and that, and the 70s. That was the downside of it all. Every, everything had to be mon- mod- uh, modernised or panelled in. Even the old-fashioned doors, that they'd put a piece of hardboard over to panel it in and make it, make it, make it modern uh, and easy to wipe down. And the door handles were retaining it off and knobs were, you know, it, it was all, all so bizarre. I think people feel they have to kind of keep up appearances and sometimes they do that at the behest of stripping out what actually made somewhere great. Yeah. And uh, I think it's... um, Whether it's up to, I guess, the the older folks to harp on about it or whether it's the younger folks who are in a quest to kind of retain what actually added value originally, we need to do something about it. I'm all for that. If we can, whatever we can save, save. But it, 
it's, it's getting a bit late, really. We've got to be, <clears throat> we've got to get in a bit of a, a sprint on with with this. Uh, you know, we could spread it around. You have the world situation now. Pollution. I'm jumping in the car, Bobby. I'm coming up to get you. We're going to start a movement. We're going to start riots. We're going to we're going to kick it off in the streets. We're going to get everyone to take it back to how it was. <laughs> I have a use of the car. Now, are you allowed to use the car? You should come on, on pushback. Are we allowed to use, you know, it's, it's, it's all, why do you get the balance? Well, <laughs> if, I, if I come on pushback, I'll be there next week. But, like, um, <laughs> if I come in the car, I'll be there in an hour and a half. <laughs> but, but it's, yes, it, it, it's, um, but the thing is, say, for example, Sheffield, it's, it's definitely changed over the years, especially even just in the time that I've been away and then I've returned and then kind of coming back and I see people um, complaining about the way the roads are because there's this um, kind of movement towards make um, making it better for cyclists as a city yeah. and they're changing a lot of the roads and the layouts of the roads and some of them in some ways it's good and some ways it's not really taking into account the best flow of traffic and so on but um, I think it'd be nice to whether it's more push bikes on the road and kind of focusing on that or whether we kind of um, allow people or kind of create something that um, people can use or afford electric cars and things like something that's better for the environment in the local area really but it'd be nice to see more bikes about out and about I don't mind oh yeah 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 I, I, I love bikes I've got a couple in the, in the barn here but uh, the road outside here I mean it's it's it's, it's 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 a death trap for bikes. There's potholes everywhere. There's bloody potholes. It's it's you know even in the car. Uh, my my wife's little car went out the other, and the I, I broke one of the, the springs. The the front oh. spring bomb bomb went went down a pothole down the road. Uh, so it's yeah. Let's 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 smooth everything out. Yeah. Uh, that that should be just be the kind of the focus for life, really, isn't it? Let's just smooth everything out. It's it's, it's so much nicer that way. But um, kind of veering off track a little bit. You've got like so. This is your 60th anniversary tour, isn't it? That's what the agent says. Yeah, I mean, I haven't thought about that much, but uh, I mean, technically, I it's 61 this year. But I mean, we'll not hold it against them. But uh, I mean, <laughs> COVID affects everything, doesn't it? But like, um, yeah, yeah, we, so. we have. Some great tour before all this lockdown. We had a, a perfect tour, routing and everything. This one, there's some, you know, dodgy distances, you know, where and working on, you know, Saturdays off and working on a Monday didn't make any sense to me. But what do I know? I'm not an agent, but <laughs> I know when I want to go out and see a show. Yeah, yeah, and and like, uh, how is it like still getting out on the road and and touring and traveling and stuff? I mean, I mean, because you guys have been together for so long. I mean, you've had s some members have changed over that time, but you've been a, a constant yourself and Tony Hicks. Like, yeah, yeah. How, how how is that like? Kind of still meeting up and getting out on the road and and doing these tours. Uh, well, it's. Uh... Yeah, it's like uh, even though I don't see him, he's down south. Uh, it's an Oxfordshire, yeah. but you know, it's like uh, you, you get together again. It's a, as I was saying, sort of thing. It's one of those things where there's a gap, but it's still there's still that communication that uh, is is inbuilt. You know, it's been alive. I've known him since I was what fourteen. Yeah. Uh, I was I was married to his sister Maureen, who passed away some years ago, 
but uh, yeah, it's like a, it's, 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 it, I suppose it's a brother-in-law, brother-in-law in a way. And uh, his son Paul Hicks, Paul Hicks remakes the Lord of the Beatles stuff. Uh, when he was working with George Martin, you see Paul Hicks's name on the surround sound and everything. Although G- Giles Martin tends to try and push him, you know, keep him quiet, but Paul Hicks did all the donkey work. Uh, Paul Hicks is now in LA and he's, he's working with, uh, uh, he's remixing some Lennon stuff, I think, for uh, Yoko. And uh, although he's back visiting dad, mum, and dad at the moment, but he, he was a kid. Uh, he, he used to come in, hit in this room here, and play with my drum machine when he was a little tot. So I could see something happening there. Then he went. He went to Abbey Road because we knew the, you know, he, he, we knew the manager there, Ken Townsend. And Ken said, "Well, send Paul along." You know, he started as a tea boy and all worked his way up, and he's working with, uh, with you know, with the Gallagher's and everybody. You know, McCartney is uh, he, well known and respected, which I'm quite proud of in a way. I don't see why he never stops working. He's always working. But, but uh, is it work when you're when you love what you're doing though? I totally, yeah, 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 like like our job in a way. I mean, uh, when I'm at home, if there's any gigs around here with the local young musos, you know, like the wine bar, I was playing in the local wine bar a few weeks ago, uh, with, you know, just busking it with the, I don't know, one or two of the guys, but one or two strangers as well. But there's some good players about. So that, that, that you know, gives me a kick. Uh, just taking a little, one of my little vintage drum kits down and just jam. No, no massive PA systems, just do it. Uh, I love all that. Yeah, it's nice. I think it kind of um, it, it takes you away from the whole um, performing to the audience in terms of how you do it normally and just just enjoying the craft that little bit more again, isn't it? I mean, you can't you can't ever replace that feeling. No, no, no. It, it, it's how I started in a way playing in yeah. the middle. Jazz clubs around here. There's a jazz club where I used to play when I was a teenager uh, with all the guys, you know, season. Uh, jazzers and every like month we'd have a, a, a guest uh, saxophonist like Harold McNair would come up or Eddie Thompson on piano and I'd be on the drums. I was still an apprentice but I'd play with these guys and, and that was great ground. That's before you know when I was a, as I say a late teens probably about I was probably about 19, 18 uh, and that was that still be a good stead you know playing with these uh, seasoned big banders and jazzers and modern modern jazz not Dixieland jazz that was my first love and then I you know drifted into rock and roll you got yeah I got to that jazz club and there'd be people like uh, uh, smoking cigarettes tapping the fingers on the table and having a, a gin and tonic or something uh, uh the, like the following weekend somebody said uh, Bob Dan Nelson there's a big dance hall down here called Nelson Imperial Ballroom, where everybody was, from the Beatles to the Stack Show to everybody. Uh, Saturday afternoon, they showed me a drum with this rock band. Will you go and do it? So I did it, and it's, it's the first time I seriously played rock, which which I, 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 a bit of a big head, I thought was a piece of cake. But the difference was, round the front of the stage, this is a, a, a Saturday afternoon bop session, there's a lot of girls there, like cheering on and things like that. So I thought the night before on the Thursday, the, this, the Queen's at Rottenstall, where people were like tapping their fingers and oh, yeah, okay, so what? And then, then I'm getting the adulation. I thought it's a no-brainer. Rock and roll for me. <laughs> well, I mean, that's amazing. That is amazing. I mean, I'd love to have had more time with you and hopefully down the line we'll get more time i'd love to just just talk to you about the decades really and just kind of go through yeah. it but um i know you're yeah. a busy guy and you've got more interviews after this as well haven't you 
Well, I think so. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Uh, I've, do, I've done three. I've done four. Have you done uh, four now? Yeah. Okay. You, I, I you, know that you're incredibly busy and I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, but, uh, I, I, I want to do the, uh, this. I've got to do something after this, so I've got to get down to uh, take the, the missus somewhere. So <laughs> that's, <worry>. that's <laughs> priorities. <laughs> Well, you know, at least you know your role in life, don't you? you you've got to do what the lady asks. I know my place. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, Chris. Yes. Good, good, good talking to you, mate. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure, Bobby. I wish you all the best, like, not just, like, on the tour, but in everything else going forward, and I'd I'd love to be able to speak to you again sometime further down the line. When, whenever, you, whenever you want, mate. Yeah, we can do that. We can we'll fix get that. in touch. Yeah, but I'll let you get this tour out of the way. Maybe we can touch base after the tour. Yeah, Okay. All right, you take care now. Have it. Uh, oh, also, you'll be on at the City Hall, twenty fourth of May. I'll put that last plug in now. Um, I will put the link in so that people can yeah. buy tickets if there are any available. And yeah, just take care. Excellent. All the best. Looking forward to it. Keep rocking on. All right. You take care. You as well. Bye now. See you later, mate. I'd like to thank Bobby for taking the time out to speak to us just about music, sharing some wonderful stories there and some incredible insight. Longevity is certainly to be applauded, and I wish the Hollies all the best with their tour. And we'll catch you next time for the next episode of Chris Talks Music. This is Chris Hallam. Thanks for listening. Bye.